Welcome to the Parents at Work podcast, a podcast for parents who want to succeed at work while also raising children. My name is Lori Mahalik-Levin, and I'm a healthcare lawyer, founder of a program called Mindful Return that helps employers retain their new parent top talent, and mama to two wonderful redheaded boys who are currently eight and 10. I am joined today by my co-host and my amazing husband, Jason Levin. Welcome, Jason. Thank you, Lori. My name is Jason Levin, or as I like to call myself, Lori Mahalik Levin's husband. I am founder of Ready, Set, Launch, LLC. And for the past 10 years, I've been working with executives to land that next job, get that promotion, transition into retirement, and grow your professional services practice. Awesome. So this month, we've been focused on moms and dads who are in government relations and public affairs roles. And we've already had some really wonderful conversations with Nedra Pickler, of the global public affairs firm, Finsbury Glover Herring. And we interviewed two really awesome dads, Cliff Porter of the American Healthcare Association and Jeff McNichols from the Partnership for Public Service. I don't know about you, Jason, but I've been so fascinated with these particular working parents, really cool careers and really helpful advice. They've done some really awesome stuff. Some really great perspectives, uh, some really great learnings. I'm looking forward to today's conversation. Yeah, so today, and last but not least, in our Government Relations Public Affairs series of interviews, I am so excited to welcome to the podcast Jalyn Cosgrove. Jalyn is a government affairs professional in Washington, D.C., where she currently serves Melwood, a 501c3 organization serving people with disabilities, as the vice president of government relations, bringing with her 15 years of experience in public policy, lobbying, and advocacy. Outside of work, Jalyn is passionate about elevating the needs of mothers and families, and she serves as treasurer of Raising Our Future Political Action Committee, a PAC that's aimed at electing congressional candidates that prioritize the needs of families. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jalyn. <laughs> Her work has been focused on promoting and empowering parents to negotiate and advocate on their behalf. She lives in Ashburn, Virginia with her husband, Greg, two children, Adeline and Elijah, and two cats, Loki and Nero. Loki and Nero. Yeah, we're going to have to hear more about that. Yeah. And this is not part of her official bio, but she's an alum of the Mindful Return program and continues to serve the program as a coach to new, new mamas. Welcome, Jalyn, and we're so happy to have you here today. Thank you. So glad to be joining you. So Loki and Nero, any? Uh... Well, is Loki from uh, Thor and Loki? So in hindsight, we should have named them Loki and Thor. Because Nero, they're both part Maine Coon cats, and Loki never really grew into full Maine Coon mode, but Nero is pushing 20 pounds and is just this massive cat, and in hindsight, Thor would have been a really fitting name for him. But Loki is every bit as mischievous as the, you know, Loki character, so his name fits quite well. Excellent. Excellent. Awesome. Now, how old are Addie and Elijah now? So Addie is five and a half and precocious and opinionated and just hilarious as can be. And Elijah turned two in December. So he's now two years and change, but he's ever definitely turning into the two and a half year old, very opinionated, very independent. No mommy. I do it. Go away. (laughs) Ah, Two and five in the middle of a pandemic. What a year. So we always start off this podcast by asking you to describe sort of in your own words, what your own working parent story is. Tell us how it started and how you wound up where you are. 
So when I was pregnant with Abby, that's where I found your course, Mindful Return. And that was when I was type A mom. I want to take control of my career and motherhood and make this all just work seamlessly. And, you know, I certainly felt going through the course that I'd learned a lot about how I was going to handle it. And then actual parenthood arrived and I found myself just really having to pivot my expectations on what I could do. But, you know, it took me a little bit, but I kind of got into a rhythm and then had a second kid and had to find a new rhythm. And so I think if I had to describe the journey overall, it has been a journey where I've had to recreate and reimagine myself and my career a number of different times in a number of different ways and sort of just accept and roll with the changes as they happened, particularly because, you know, our careers aren't stagnant, our kids aren't stagnant. So I don't know why I had any expectation that I could like make one change and make it all work (laughs) or adjust this one time. And then that's the new normal. And I think, you know, that's probably true of the pandemic working parent story too, is like, there is no normal. (laughs) That's a myth. (laughs) Yeah. Working parenthood. I think the word is just pivot. Like every day, every and every day. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Is there any pivot in particular that you think is illustrative of what you were just describing about being surprised and having to make a change that you weren't expecting to make? Yeah. I would say, honestly, my ability, you know, we talked a little bit, you know, you have, I, I have talked a little bit about like work life balance and how to strike it. And I think where I thought there was a balance you could strike you know, learn to go with it, learn to sway. I don't think I really recognized how much it would need to actually, you know, those days where you have a whole bunch of work meetings that you have to take care of and your kid wakes up with the fever. Um, God forbid both you and your partner in raising those children both have busy days. And then of course, with the pandemic, especially it just, I, I don't know how to describe it except that it really just set me back on my feet and, and changed my expectations dramatically of how I could look at managing my time over a week so that there were days like, you know, on Tuesday, I would be all in on parenting because the sick kid or something of that nature. But on Wednesday, then I would try to make up for it at work. And ironically, that started actually working for me. So instead of seeing it as work-life balance overall, I kind of just give myself a week. If I can balance it over a week, and then try again the next week, I'll feel better. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that answers what you were looking for, but yeah, no, <laughs> I love that perspective of zooming out and having it not be like minute to minute equalization and balance, but over the course of a week, that makes sense. And when you said you, you didn't have words, those days when like everything goes haywire, there are no words to describe those days. It's just like, ah, <laughs> which is <laughs> for those days. Exactly. It's, I mean, you know, my youngest, my two-year-old, has severe allergies. So he is allergic to eggs, peanuts, and tree nuts, which the peanuts have gotten relatively easy to handle. A lot of things are peanut free. Schools really dedicate themselves to being peanut free. That's been easier to manage. It's the eggs that have been massively difficult because most baked goods, including bread, have eggs in them. And you know, pre-made sandwiches might have mayonnaise or even vanilla ice cream has egg in it. And so there's been all these weird shifts and challenges that have just come from, you know, managing that, which I think in any situation should be, is complicated and is difficult. Yeah. Things you certainly never thought you would have to learn probably. (laughs) Let's talk specifically about the field of government relations. 
And can you orient us a little bit to what it's like to be a parent in a government relations role? Sure. So, you know, government affairs is a lot about building relationships. It's knowing information, being able to pay attention to things like the news and conversations that are going on. It's having, you know, off the record conversations. It's having on the record conversations. It's building expectations organizationally so they understand what's coming down the congressional pike and what might be on their work streams and helping them to kind of manage what they think the organization should be doing strategically and how we can pivot or be a part of those conversations. So there's all of that side of government affairs of like what the job is. And then there's also being the working parent that's trying to manage all of the things that go into that, all the monitoring, the conversations and the news and things that are happening on the Hill. Pre-COVID, that was, you know, attending events in the evenings or early morning breakfasts with members of Congress or having, you know, meetings up on the Hill. So there was a lot of scheduling challenges, I would say, while also still having to stay very focused and in depth. And it's one of those jobs that I think a lot of people misunderstand because it is so much about knowing how all the different pieces are fitting together and where your organization needs to be positionally to leverage that, which takes a lot of brain power and takes a lot of energy. And so those days when your kid wakes up four times and then you have to go and try to make all this strategic stuff fit together. And God forbid it's it's one of those really complicated days. That's for me tends to be some of the harder components of it. And I would say the other piece that sometimes gets to me, and this had me really kind of trying to figure out where I wanted to be in my career in a different way than I expected, is that when you're paying attention to the news and it gets really hard sometimes. I think we've all seen over the past few years how difficult politics can be and then doing government affairs work and trying to move different things forward in Congress that is this polarized and having this much trouble working well together. And then also, you know, pivoting to look at your kids and wanting to protect them from scary things in the world or complicated messaging. And your job is to be in it And all you want to do is back away and protect your kids from it. And I think that was probably the biggest challenge for me was how to not lose faith in the job and the work that I was doing, particularly in the face of having to, in a way, protect my kids from it, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, Because it's just, it's been a rough few years (laughs) and I don't know if it's going to get better, but you know, that's been probably the hardest thing about doing government affairs and parenting at the moment. So do your kids ask you how your day was and how do you respond? So they do, but you know, they're still five and two. So the two-year-old doesn't really have any of those questions, but the five-year-old is, she's really starting to wake up to the world around her. And I think, you know, especially over the past year, there was a day when she kind of overheard the news because I had it on the radio and she heard about the George Floyd murder. and she understood it. And I kind of didn't think about it. I probably should have, but I was kind of not paying attention the way I should. And she heard it and she asked me about it. And, you know, that's not a area that I lobby in, but it's certainly something that I pay attention to and, and, you know, listening to the news and understanding some of the dynamics as part of my job. And she asked me about it. And I found myself really trying to simultaneously be like, how do I be honest with my child about some of these challenges? How do I make it age appropriate? How do I protect her against this? How do I help her understand what mommy's job is in this? 
And so she asks about it. And for the most part, I can come up with like age appropriate explanations. I like to describe my job as I'm a teacher for lawmakers, but then there's sometimes there's just areas of policy or law or debate that you can't explain. And that's been probably that, you know, if I could, I would avoid (laughs) talking about it with her yet at five, but you know, that's a very privileged place for me to be, to just not already have some words and not all parents have that option, you know? So I I had to delicately explain to her what was going on in an age appropriate way. And I I think that was hard. Yeah. Yeah, And that's, I mean, that's, it's a very kind way of treating that with your child. You, You were talking earlier about polarization. No doubt there's a lot of disagreements on the Hill. How has that ability to manage disagreement on the Hill been brought to your parenting when your child disagrees with you? Well, we used to joke that my daughter, when she refused to go to bed, so Addie used to just not want to go to bed. She would just babble, babble, talk, talk, sing to herself for darn near an hour, (laughs) many nights when she was a little younger. And we used to, my husband and I used to joke, we're like, she's filibustering again. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's one way it kind of gets in. And, you know, I I think that's probably the the funniest way is we kind of work words and like, stop filibustering. It's time to go to bed. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I really appreciate that you've highlighted that tension. I hadn't thought much of about between what you can talk about to your children related to your job and how some of those topics are really challenging. I wonder, Jalyn, if whether some of your work with the Raising Our Future PAC was a channel or an outlet for you in that regard. 100%. 100%. I think especially after I became a parent and, you know, I always worked in government affairs and I just, you know, this devolving of political dialogue has been happening for many years. This is not something that just happened when President Trump was elected. It's been a very long process. So it's something that I think I saw coming for a long time. But what happened is I got into some conversations with some other parents in a mom and dad group that I was in. And one of the other parents, a dad, who was also a lobbyist for a different organization. We weren't even in the same fields, but, you know, lobbyists, we know each other. (laughs) And he said, God, what if we started a pack? And I was like, I think I know, I know how to do that. We could do this. Mm -hmm. And so we found a couple other interested parents and we literally just went through filing with the IRS, establishing ourselves, registering with the Federal Election Commission, setting ourselves up with a fundraising account and just started going after it. And so now we raise this little baby of ours called Raising Our Future Pack. And we set out our platform in collaboration with parents from all over the country. So we have nearly 200 unique donors over the past, since our founding in 2017. We have raised over $55,000 over the course of the interim election cycle since our founding. And we've used it to really highlight members of Congress who, or or candidates for Congress who are talking about the issues that we feel are important to parents. And part of the reason we started a PAC of all things is because it's one thing, I think in government affairs, we understand that it's one thing to give $100 to someone that you believe in. It's quite another to join with other people with like-minded shared interest and say, we're going to write you a check for $1,000. And we want you to talk to our issues. Mm -hmm. And I think what was interesting about the PAC during the pandemic is we actually were able to do some direct giving with some actual candidates. And we had these little Zoom meetings 
And we only had about 12 or 15 parents and they were all individual donors. And we supplemented it with a donation from the pack and were able to raise some money for some really quality candidates and get this one-on-one time, you know, and I remember we were with one Congresswoman and her daughter came in to ask for a math question (laughs) on her schoolwork. And we just got to see this really human side of this member of Congress. And I think what's been really fulfilling about my work with Raising Our Future is you really feel like you're moving the ball down the field. You really do. You're electing these members who are thoughtful and courageous and willing to tackle these issues that affect parents, like access to paid parental leave, access to affordable childcare, K through 12 education in a public setting, in these really important elements of policy that we as parents know are critical to allowing us to be fully engaged in our work. I mean, if you don't have paid parental leave and it's putting up financial strain on you, if it's not protected in any way from your job so that you don't have something to go back to, if we don't view it as a policy that is empowering to parents and allows them to be full economic citizens and full participants in their work, we are missing out on this really key opportunity. And there are so many parents across the country who need that respect and need that support. And we wanted Congress to know that we were watching. (laughs) Yeah. And you actually took action and did something about it. And I think it's just a beautiful example of leadership in marrying the professional skills that you have and the passions that you want to work toward advancing. And you were able to put dollars, you put actual dollars to something. And that's something that speaks on the Hill, which is brilliant. It does. I mean, we actually had um, one of the leadership ranked member who said, I'm really into this. I'd like to do more with you guys. So we're working to try to, to do more direct giving events where we'll actually be able to interact with members. We had actually a sitting member of Congress donate to the pack. So <laughs> you can tell there's some resonance there. We've just been really thrilled to be able to leverage and give voice in a politically directed way. Because I mean, that's exactly where my career kind of came into focus is like, how do I take this skill set that I've built, like knowing how to run a pack <laughs> right, <laughs> and use it for something that's really core to my being and important to me and important to these parents who, who needed somewhere to go with it. Yeah. Let's travel back to your very early days of parenthood. And I'm going to pass it on to Jason for a next question. What workplace supports did you find particularly helpful as you became a working parent? I was really fortunate to have a wonderful boss. My boss was very invested in supporting me, had, you know, been a parent herself, had two young kids. Um, I think when I was pregnant, her youngest was three or four. So she had been through kind of the trenches and sort of understood exactly where I was. So that was supportive. I, you know, for my work, we had access to short-term disability between my first and second kid. They actually ended up instituting a actual paid leave policy where there was actually parental leave granted to our staff. And that was because I started asking some questions and, and really, I think gave some insight to our HR to really start to lean into updating our policies. It was something that she was already interested in, but she started to really lean into it more as a couple of us who were on staff started expanding our families. The other thing that they really were able to do is they were very supportive of the fact that I wanted to be a nursing mother. So they put blinds on my my office door so that I could pump in my office. They got a refrigerator and put that into my office for me so that I could do what I needed to do in the privacy of my office without having to worry. That was really 
quite nice. (laughs) And yeah, I mean, they were just generally very supportive and very flexible. And then they were able to work with me on a phase in to my return so that I was able to come back a couple days a week and slowly ease myself out of maternity leave and back into working me. So I was very grateful for that. They were great during that time. To be clear, this is um, at your prior employer, not at Hellwood, right? Yeah. And I mean, it really sounds like you had the gold standard in terms of the supportive manager, the space to pump, the phased in return. Like those are things a lot of people long for. Yes. And um, Lori, you and I have talked about this, about how I, I gave them a whole template on like, this is how I want my maternity leave and my return to work to look. And they were really appreciative of that memo and, and how detailed it was. And it gave me, for me, it forced me to think about what I needed to be successful for that reentry. And for them, I think it gave them a rubric to think through what they needed to know while I was gone and how to prepare for my return. Yeah. And as a coach, I love that you're making a clear ask and you're negotiating on your own behalf, which is fantastic. So. It worked too. <laughs> <laughs> always Funny ask. Funny about that. <laughs> always ask. That's always, I always say it's good career behavior. So out of curiosity, uh, were there any supports that you didn't have that you think other parents might benefit from? I would have liked, you know, this was different between my first and my second, but I feel like, you know, it's 2021. I am kind of surprised that we are still in a position in this country to where your access to paid leave depends on your employer, mm-hmm. depends on how forward thinking and that your employer is when it comes to paid parental leave, because it's one of those things that now you have to look to see if it's part of your benefits package. And it's kind of just surprising to me for as advanced as the United States is in so many ways that that's something we've never really tackled. And I think, you know, I was fortunate that I had enough, you know, short-term disability with my first pregnancy and then actual parental leave with my second pregnancy that I was able to get through it. But I know how fortunate and how rare, frankly, that was. So I think I would really love to see on a broader scale, more companies in really our entire country embrace that parenthood is something that is important and making sure that parents are not in financially strained conditions while they recover from childbirth and while they go through the dreaded fourth trimester, that they have the supports that they need. And I think paid parental leave is just something so critical. Um, One of the other things that I could see being really helpful is I exhausted a lot of my sick leave with my short-term disability in my first pregnancy. And then, you know, as I'm sure you guys all remember, those first couple of weeks of daycare, you practically don't use daycare because your kid is just sick all the time from their first little exposure to those germs. Mm -hmm. And so it would be nice to, again, this kind of comes back to parental leave being part of it is like having access to that sick leave to manage getting back to work at a time when your kid is just going to be exposed to all these new germs. I think I underestimated how many sick days I would ultimately need. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I just, I wish there was just a little bit more recognition and understanding of. And it's not that there wasn't because obviously not every, like, it's hard to know how much of it you're going to need. But frankly, we spent the first six weeks in daycare. I think I maybe was only between my husband and I, we were working maybe two days a week because either the kid was sick or we were sick. Yeah. And it was terrible. <laughs> yeah. Jason and I used to look at each other every night and be like, don't know if we're going to work tomorrow. <laughs> 
it's the super bugs they bring home, which yeah. is just amazing as they're developing their immune systems. And I still remember a stomach bug that Addie caught that she got sick once and we were like, oh God, it's everywhere. We cleaned <laughs> it all up. <laughs> and so we're like, I guess one of us will have to stay home tomorrow. And I remember starting in the morning, I started to feel deathly ill <laughs> and I got so sick. And so dehydrated that I ended up having to go to the ER for fluids and Zofran. And as soon as I started getting better and got released from the hospital and sent home, Greg, my husband, got sick. (laughs) (laughs) And we were sicker than she was. She got sick once and then was fine. Like she barely spotted a fever, but the two of us were both sent to the ER I mean, poor Greg had three different anti-nausea medications that they had to give him before they found something that helped. It was terrible. <laughs> yes. And common enough. So back to the um, raising our future pack yes. for paid leave. Yes. Oh, man. All right. So, Jillian, you've talked about some of the changes just as organically in our conversation that you've seen happening in government relations, government affairs that affect working parents. I mean, the Zoom meetings, uh, having the member of Congress there and being able to interact in a more intimate setting via Zoom is really cool. Are there other changes that you think are happening in your field or profession that you think are affecting working parents, even if they're not specific to working parents, you know, as changes? You know, I'm not sure because I think right now there's just so much uncertainty about what's to come. I think the Zoom meetings are going to stay. I think that there will still be a lot of lobbying that will now move to a virtual environment. I think there will be conferences that might allow parents who were really anxious about traveling without their kids or getting away from their kids for that period of time. Some of those anxieties that are really hard, particularly for parents with young kids. Now that I imagine most of these will be virtual, will be hybrid, you know, some in person, some virtual. I think there will be a lot of parents who will be able to take advantage of more learning opportunities, maybe missing out on some of the networking opportunities of going to a conference, but maybe not having to deal with some of the stress of traveling with your kids or traveling without your kids or traveling and then having to pump, (laughs) frankly, for a nursing mom in an airplane or something, (laughs) you know, some of the things that we've had to do to just be able to be a working mom who also travels. I think some of those are going to be a little easier to navigate. You know, there's definitely been, I've noticed in my time that the Hill has, Capitol Hill has been more inclusive in the sense that they have nursing stations and places where you can go and you can pump in the nurses station in the house and Senate office buildings that I think will probably be easier for government affairs people to be able to navigate. Yeah. And I think probably the other big challenge that I see for those who do government affairs work is we used to do a whole lot of like evening events. And when you have new members of Congress, there's a bunch of new receptions and things of that nature where you go and you kind of get to meet some of the new members and their new staff. I think for me, those were really hard as a working parent. I would often just say, you know what, maybe I'm not going to do that because navigating the going from work to a reception, to getting home late and not seeing the kids was still something I wasn't quite, you know, I wasn't always invested in doing. So I think those could be some slight changes. And I think particularly after the pandemic where we've kind of gotten used to being at home, I do wonder what's going to happen with those type of events in the future, at least for a working parent that, you know, we were already not that interested in going (laughs) and getting used to doing it from your desk. And it's like, eh, less interested. 
your description reminded me of my one experience pumping on Capitol Hill because I, I do policy work, but I'm not a lobbyist. And so I only go up there occasionally as an expert, at least prior to COVID. And I had my pump and I was pumping in a bathroom in one of the Senate office buildings. And some kind woman came into the bathroom and said, excuse me, excuse me, ma'am, I think I hear a breast pump. And I was like, yeah, you're trying to hide in the bathroom there. She said, you know, there's a whole pumping room downstairs and they've got hospital grade pumps and everything. And I can show you where it is next time. And I was like, okay, thanks. (laughs) A very helpful uh, exchange if I ever had to go back and do it again. But it was very- The understandable sound of a breast pump. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Quite obvious. (laughs) Yeah, it's actually, they're actually quite nice. So, you know, for anyone listening who you end up on Capitol Hill for a whole day, or maybe you're also a government affairs professional, don't sleep on those nursing rooms. They're actually quite nice. And they have, all you got to bring is your material. So you don't have to lug the actual pump around with you, which is nice. Wow. That's brilliant. That is brilliant. My last pumping story in the government building, I used to have to go to um, MedPAC meetings and Medicare Payment Advisory Commission meetings over in the Reagan building. And I did this with regularity. So I brought my pump all the time. And um, the very tail end of my pumping days, it was my second kid. I was like on my last week of pumping. I was so excited. And I put the pump through the metal detector and everything. And I uh, was going to pick it up. And I smiled and said at the guard, this is the last time I'm going to be pumping in this building. And she took it as, this is the last time I'm going to be pumping in this building. And um, she was like, no, 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 you can definitely bring it in here. It's no problem. It's no problem. <laughs> I was like, no, I'm just excited to be done pumping. It's not anything against you or the Reagan building. <laughs> <laughs> there is definitely a freedom when you finally stop pumping. You're like, I'm free. <laughs> so Jolene, three questions for you. Uh, what's your number one best piece of advice for navigating life as a working parent? What's your number one book? Your number one piece of technology. Okay. The number one piece of advice, and it used to be something different. So I'm actually going to give you two because the best advice that I ever got was when I was pregnant with my first and a friend of mine said, look, there's going to be a moment in those first few weeks with the baby when you and your partner are going to be mad about something stupid. Someone didn't load the dishwasher. Someone didn't run the dishwasher. Someone left something out that shouldn't have been left out. And you're going to be furious with each other. And in that moment, I want you to pause, look at the baby, and remember who the enemy is. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) And I remember hearing that and being like, what? And then sure enough, like Addie was maybe five or six weeks old, and my husband and I were livid with each other. And I don't even remember what it was. But I stopped. I looked at that sweet, precious little baby of mine, and I was like, you're the one who did this. (laughs) This is your fault. That's, that's a good story, that's- but the, the more practical advice that I got that has kind of become my working mom mantra over the past year, especially is I am in charge. I am not in control. Mm-hmm. And that for me helped to really separate in my mind, you know, you really can't control what's happening and you can't control much of anything that your kid is doing, but you are in charge. So you have to manage with what you got. So for me, that the idea of I am not in charge, but I, or I'm not in control, but I am in charge really helped me to kind of stop taking the world so personally where I was like, why isn't this working the way I want it to? And so that's for me advice that I would give to any parent now. The number one book. So I have been reading a more recent book and I'm trying, I might not have the title right, but it's like hunter gatherer parenting. 
So I've been listening to this book on tape and it's just this kind of get back to basics. And the author looks at really some of these cultures that parent very differently than American culture. So not just like European, but like Western parent culture is one type of way where a lot of the world parents in a lot of different broad strokes. And so it just kind of examines some of these other ways of raising kids that are a little bit more community oriented, a little bit more rounder, I guess I would say than what we do. And I've been really loving what I'm hearing in that book. And it's helping me really to kind of shift my mindset and what parenting actually looks like and shift from like, you need to get things to work a certain way to more like, eh, we're going to figure this out. We're going to get, cause the end game is one thing and the pathway to it is another, if that makes sense. So I've been really enjoying that work. We'll look up the title and link it in show notes so folks can find that book as well. Yes. And I apologize to the author for not having a good bead on what the title is. <laughs> good. We'll link to it. No problem. We'll link to it. We'll make it work. And then the one piece of technology, I would have to say, again, I was a nursing parent. I was a pumping parent. The freemies changed my life. They really did. Um, freemies were this attachment that you could get for your pump that were just so much more discreet and like, you don't have to undress for them. You just tuck them into your shirt and they just work and they collect the milk. And then you take them out, you pour them out, you put the milk in the fridge and you're ready to go to the races. And I'll tell you, if I had not had access to those, I am not sure that my nursing relationship would have lasted remotely as long as it did. And I'm talking to the tune of like months that it would have shaved off my nursing relationship. Cause I would have just been like, and I'm done. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's been so much great innovation in the pumping space over the past few years. And we have a, a blog post on the mindful return website about the freemie that I believe you might've written. Jalen, I did. Yeah. So I'm we telling link- you, they changed my life. <laughs> <laughs> we will link to that in the show notes as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here with us today, Jalen. You've been brilliant. Yes. Thank you. I'm really glad to spend this time with you. Really enjoyed our conversation. We really appreciate it. Thanks to all of you who joined to listen today. If you like the Parents at Work podcast, enjoy what you heard here, please forward this along to one other parent in your life and go ahead and leave us a review. Just even click the little star and maybe write a sentence or so. And any of the places that you find podcasts, we would be eternally grateful. Stay tuned for next time. And thanks for listening. Thank you.